0: Welcome, listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book, movie, compare, and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, the co host who has never once lost her voice. Though, now that I say this, I'm probably jinxing myself. uh And I'm Katie, and I'm bringing sexy voice back for a third time. Yeah! (laughs) Gets me every time. (laughs) Can you say Crazy Gary Oldman just for old time's sake? All right. Crazy Gary Oldman! (laughs) (laughs) Worth it.
1: (laughs) That being said... Let's just keep rolling into The Rolling Rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 16, The Goblet of Fire, and the corresponding film scenes. Hagrid cleaned up nice, for Hagrid. Hermione is shocked to find that there is less interest in the house elf revolution than she previously thought. Hagrid is the Wizarding World's Julia Child, if Julia Child sucked at cooking. (laughs) Madame Maxime found out who her mummy is. Fred and George got a shave and a haircut as Dumbledore gets ready to announce the four, I mean, three, champions of the Triwizard Tournament. The champion choices were equal parts predictable and sexist. The professional jock, the pretty French girl Vila, and the pretty boy
0: Diggory, and of course the bonus, Harry Potter! <laughs> During episode 81, Can of kickass, our Potter pondering was, how does the Goblet of Fire choose the champions? Robert said, "This was the exact question he was hoping would come up this week. He imagined it was magically expanded like Hermione's bag, and at the bottom was a horde of fire imps that had a Triwizard Draft tournament to determine the champions. And the bettings from the draft were the thousand galleon prize." He also wonders if anyone has ever tried to sweet talk the goblet. That was really well thought out, right? <laughs> Quincy said that it's whoever has the
1: biggest dick or the fattest pussy. Or, you know, using politically correct terms, whoever is the bravest and has the most tenacity.
0: So probably a Gryffindor. I thought we said biggest dick. (laughs) (laughs) Fattest pussy, too. Oh my god. (laughs) Dave thinks it's a portkey of types, for objects. It leads to a place where all the people in various schools' paintings gather and decide who to pick. Then it portkeys the winner's paper's back, and the goblet spits them out.
1: That seems like a lot of legwork for a piece of paper.
0: But it's not a piece of paper. It is a tri-wizard champion. I guess so. Still a lot of legwork.
1: <laughs> Carly thinks it analyzes handwriting to determine who is the strongest, and then picks that one.
0: Juliana always thought they chose the champion that was a talented witcher wizard with strong moral character. That's what I always thought myself. Yeah. And maybe they know that because of the handwriting. And maybe. Who knows? They say you can tell a lot from
1: handwriting, so. Sarah said that however it is chosen, it is chosen calmly. Obviously. Obviously.
0: <laughs> Mike wonders if Gret and Forge could have gotten by the age line by not crossing it. Like just using a big stick or Wingardium Leviosaing their parchment into the goblet. Take their it's so dumb it's gonna work theory to the extreme. Also, it honestly seems like a popularity contest. In every school, the person most people thought were going to be the champion were the champion. He thinks that's at least true for Crumb, and definitely the opinion he got about Fleur as well. It would seem odd to him that there wasn't an outlier who wasn't just a secret badass if the goblet was going by competence alone.
1: I mean, one could argue that Cedric was kind of the outlier badass, I guess. But maybe that's just because we're reading everything from Harry's point of view. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Elise thinks it examines their moral character and chooses
0: from how good they are. Which, again, I like it. Max gave us the inner workings of the Goblet's thought process. Number one, boy celebrity. No, not glasses. The flying one that Igor offers to get drinks for, like a sketchy old guy outside the (laughs) off-license. Number two... Unrealistic underage beauty standards that make Hermione question her own appearance and make life altering changes to herself.
1: Oh, burn.
0: Number three, we need someone that people like. Every other character is fundamentally flawed. Remember the nice Quidditch guy from the last book that offered a rematch when Harry fell off his broom because he's poo? Yeah, let's have him. <laughs> And number four, why are we adding a fourth? We forgot to add Harry. Why did we change the rules this time if we needed Harry to be in the thing? You know he won't stand a chance, right? Okay, fine. Harry Potter! (laughs) I mean, none of that sounds wrong. Where's the lie? (laughs) If the Goblet of Fire had an inner thought process. There it is. Right there. Bam. If the Goblet of Fire and the Sorting Hat had a baby. The Sorting Hat of Fire? Yeah. The Goblet of Sorting. sorting. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yep. (laughs) That just happened. Our trivia question last week was, when does the first task take place? Barty Crouch comes out of a deep reverie to announce that the first task will take place on November the 24th in front of the other students and a panel of judges.
0: Congratulations goes to Mike Riley! He is working on that streak again. Yup, two weeks in a row so far. Maybe this is the time. Maybe. We'll
1: see. I rhymed. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 17,
0: The Four Champions, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 17, The Four Champions. Harry sits in the great hall, completely stunned, as everyone turns to look at him. No one is clapping, But the hall is filling with an angry buzzing as Harry sits frozen in his seat. He turns to Ron and Hermione and insists that he didn't put his name in, but they just stare back. Dumbledore again calls his name and asks him to come forward. Hermione gives him a slight push and he stands, stumbling a bit over his robes. He walks what feels like an immensely long walk between the Gryffindor and Hufflepuff tables, feeling everyone staring at him, before he reaches an unsmiling Dumbledore who sends him through the door. He walks along the staff table, where even Hagrid is staring at him astonished, and goes through the door to find himself in a smaller room with a roaring fire opposite him. Victor Crumb, Cedric Diggory, and Fleur Delacour are grouped around the fire, looking very tall and impressive to Harry. Fleur thinks they sent him in to deliver a message and Harry doesn't know what to say and instead stands silently looking at the three champions. Ludo Bagman joins them in the room, takes Harry by the arm, and announces how extraordinary it is that there is a fourth Tri-Wizard champion. The boys look surprised, but Fleur thinks it's a joke and then a mistake because he's too young to compete. Bagman says that it's amazing, but since his name has come out of the goblet, the rules say he's obliged to compete. The door opens again, and Professor Dumbledore enters, closely followed by Mr. Crouch, Professor Karkarov, Madame Maxime, Professor McGonagall, and Professor Snape. Fleur addresses her headmistress that they are saying this little boy is also to compete, and Madame Maxime asks Dumbledore what the meaning of this is. Professor Karkaroff says that he would also like to know since it gives Hogwarts two champions. Madame Maxime agrees that it's most unjust, and Karkaroff also mentions that they thought his age line would keep younger contestants out or they would have brought more candidates with them. Snape speaks up to say that it's no one's fault but Potter's, who has been crossing lines ever since he arrived. Dumbledore cuts him off and calmly asks Harry if he put his name in the Goblet of Fire. Harry says no, so he asks if he asked an older student to put it in the goblet for him. Harry again says no, and Madame Maxime insists that he is lying. McGonagall speaks up to point out that he could not have crossed the age line, and Madame Maxime says that Dumbledore must have made a mistake with the line. Dumbledore politely agrees it's possible, but McGonagall angrily snaps that he didn't make a mistake. She says that it should be good enough for everyone that Harry couldn't have crossed the line himself, and Dumbledore believes he didn't persuade an older student. Karkaroff addresses Crouch and Bagman about the irregularity of the situation. Bagman wipes his face and looks to Crouch, who looks older than usual, but speaks in his normal, curt voice, declaring that they must follow the rules which clearly state those people whose names have come out of the goblet are bound to compete in the tournament. Karkaroff wants to resubmit the names of his students to make sure each school has two champions, but Bagman points out that the goblet has already gone out and won't reignite until the start of the next tournament, which Karkaroff insists they will not be competing in. He says that he has half a mind to leave now, but a voice from the door growls that that is an empty threat, since his champion has a binding magical contract to compete. Moody enters the room and calls it convenient, which Karkaroff questions, saying he doesn't understand. Moody quietly asks if he doesn't, saying it's very simple. Someone put Harry's name in the goblet knowing he'd have to compete if it came out. Madame Maxime thinks that it was someone who wanted to give Hogwarts two bites at the apple, and Karkaroff agrees, saying he's going to be lodging formal complaints. Moody thinks the only one who has a reason to complain is Potter, and he isn't. And Fleur speaks out to wonder why he would, since he has the chance to compete and they've all been hoping to be chosen. It's a chance many would die for. Moody agrees, saying that maybe someone's hoping Potter is going to die for it. There's a tense silence before Bagman nervously comments on what he said, and Karkaroff figures that Moody must be teaching his students to also fear assassination. Moody defends himself, saying that it was a skilled witcher wizard who put Harry's name in that goblet, because they were able to hoodwink a very powerful magical object. He guesses they submitted Potter's name under a fourth school, so he would be the only one in his category. Karkaroff coldly says that he seems to have given this a great deal of thought, but as he's completely paranoid, they can't take him seriously. Moody retorts by reminding Karkaroff that it's his job to think the way dark wizards do, as he ought to remember. Dumbledore cuts him off and says that though they don't know how the situation arose, they have no choice but to accept it. Madame Maxime protests again, but having no other alternatives to suggest, she falls silent and glares. Snape and Karkaroff also both look livid, but Bagman is looking rather excited. He smiles and says they have to give the champions their instructions, offering the honors to Barty. Crouch seems to come out of a deep reverie and begins to give the instructions for the first task, which is designed to test their daring and will be a surprise. It will take place on November the 24th in front of the other students and the panel of judges. Champions may not ask for help from their teachers and will be armed with only their wands. Once the first task is over, they will receive information about the second task. They will also be exempt from the end-of-the-year exams. Mr. Crouch turns to Dumbledore to make sure he covered everything, and Dumbledore says he thinks he did, before again offering to let him stay at Hogwarts that night. Crouch insists he must head back, saying he left the young and over-enthusiastic Weatherby in charge. Bagman tries to change his mind, saying that he is staying, but he still refuses. Dumbledore offers a nightcap to Karkaroff and Maxime, but they are both leading their students out of the room. Dumbledore smiles at Harry and Cedric and sends them back to their common rooms, expecting their houses will want to celebrate with them. The two Hogwarts champions walk back through the now-deserted Great Hall, and Cedric acknowledges that they will be playing against each other again. Harry agrees, and when he doesn't say anything else, Cedric asks how he did get his name in. Harry again insists that he didn't, but Cedric clearly doesn't believe him. They head their separate ways to their houses, and Harry wonders if anyone aside from Ron and Hermione are going to believe him. He had fantasized about entering, but never really considered doing so, and he finds himself wondering why someone else would have entered his name. Was Moody just being his paranoid self, or did someone really want him dead? He knows that Lord Voldemort does, and remembers his dream about Voldemort plotting his murder. Harry arrives at the Gryffindor portrait hole, and the fat lady tells him that her friend Violet has told her everything, acknowledging that he was chosen a school champion. Harry responds with only the password, and the portrait swings aside to let him in the common room, where he's greeted with a blast of cheering, clapping, and whistling. He is completely bombarded by his housemates congratulating him, offering him food, wondering how he entered, and in general, trying to celebrate. He manages to get away from the mall and heads to his dormitory, where he's relieved to find Ron lying on his bed, though he is grinning at him in an odd, strange sort of way. Ron watches as Harry struggles to remove a Gryffindor banner that Lee Jordan tied around his shoulders, and then gives him a weird congratulations. Harry wonders what he means, and Ron starts speculating how he got over the age line and wondering why he didn't tell him. Harry tries to explain that he didn't put his name in, someone else must have, and Ron wonders why they would do that. Harry feels it would be too melodramatic to say it was to kill him, so instead he says he doesn't know. Ron's eyebrows raise, and he insists that Harry can tell him the truth, though he doesn't understand why he's bothering to lie since he didn't get into trouble. Harry's starting to feel angry as he has to, again, insist that he didn't put his name in that goblet. Ron reminds Harry that he said he would have done it last night, so no one would see and says that he isn't stupid. Harry snaps that he's doing a good impression of it, and Ron stops the forced smile. He tells Harry he better get to bed, since he might have an early photo call or something, and then pulls his bed hanging shut, leaving Harry standing alone by the door, staring at the curtains that are hiding one of the few people he thought would believe him. The movie section
1: starts off right after Dumbledore yells out Harry Potter's name. The camera focuses on Harry as he sits completely shocked and Hermione has to shake him to get him moving. He stands back up in a daze and begins to walk toward Dumbledore as Ron glares after him. When Harry reaches Dumbledore they silently look at each other and the older wizard hands him the charred paper with his name on it. Harry walks up the aisle in the Great Hall to follow the other champions as everyone stares at him and a few people call out that he is a cheat and he isn't seventeen yet. He nervously passes Professor Snape, who also just stares at him, and Professor McGonagall, who gives him a comforting pat on the shoulder. The camera pans over an upset Igor Kakarov and settles on a frowning Mad-Eye Moody before it cuts to the room off the Great Hall and shows Harry walking down the stairs and through the entrance. Fleur, Victor, and Cedric move together in front of the fireplace to watch as Harry enters and is closely followed by several angry adult voices arguing. They watch as Dumbledore, Karkaroff, Crouch, McGonagall, Moody, and Snape hurry down the steps. Dumbledore snarls out Harry's name and rushes toward him, grabbing him by the shoulders and asking if he put his name in the Goblet of Fire. When Harry says he didn't, he asks if he asked an older student to do it for him. Harry denies this as well, and Dumbledore wags his finger in his face and asks if he is absolutely sure. Madame Maxine comes down the steps and smacks a hanging light out of the way as she insists that he is lying. Moody steps up to point out that he isn't lying because the Goblet of Fire is an exceptionally powerful magical object that could have only been hoodwinked by an exceptionally powerful wizard. As Dumbledore looks troubled, Karkaroff pushes past him and gets in Moody's face to accuse him of giving it a good bit of thought. Moody reminds him that it's his job to think like a dark wizard, tacking on a line about perhaps he may remember. Karkaroff sneers and Dumbledore cuts between them, snarling at Alistair, saying that doesn't help. He approaches Barty Crouch and tells him that he leaves it up to him. Mr. Crouch looks at the table of magical objects as he says that the rules are absolute. The Goblet of Fire constitutes a binding magical contract. He turns to Dumbledore, and with a bit of a manic expression on his face, he declares that Mr. Potter has no choice. He is, as of tonight, a Triwizard Champion. The scene cuts to a transition shot outside the castle in the rain, where, the water, where water is pouring from the open mouth of a griffin statue. The camera zooms out and pans over to a tower before zooming in and cutting to Dumbledore in his office, leaning over an ornate magical object emitting a blue-white light. McGonagall's voice tells him that this can't go on. The camera angle changes to show Dumbledore's face with Professor McGonagall, Professor Snape, and Professor Moody in the background, as McGonagall lists off the things that have been happening, mentioning the dark mark, and now this. Dumbledore asks what she suggests they do, and she says that they should put an end to it and not let Potter compete. He reminds her what Barty said, that the rules are clear. McGonagall wants to know when he started accommodating the Ministry, and Snape speaks up to agree that the situation couldn't be mere coincidence— but if they are to discover the meaning of these events, they should let them unfold for the time being. McGonagall is appalled at the idea of doing nothing and offering Harry up as bait, but Dumbledore says that he agrees with Severus. He asks Alistair to keep an eye on Harry and mad Moody steps forward, saying he can do that. Dumbledore tells him not to let Harry know, as he must be anxious enough already, and then points his wand at his head and pulls a silvery strand of light from his temple. He says they are all anxious as he lowers the strand into the swirling mirror-like surface of the object he is leaning against. The bluish light strands shift around to show an image of the piece of parchment bearing Harry Potter's name as thunder rumbles in the background. The scene cuts to Harry sitting and staring off blankly in his dormitory as Ron sulks around and then asks him how he did it. Harry looks towards him, confused, and Ron says, Never mind but continues to sullenly say that he might have let his best friend know, though. Harry wants to know what he's supposed to let him know, and Ron tells him that he knows bloody well what. Harry insists that he didn't ask for this to happen, and informs him that he is being stupid. As he gets into bed, Ron grumbles that that's him, Ron Weasley, Harry Potter's stupid friend. Harry stands up and looks directly at his friend, reiterating that he didn't put his name in that cup. He doesn't want eternal glory. He starts to say that he just wants to be, but then pauses. He takes a breath and says that he doesn't know what happened tonight, or why, it just did. Ron sighs and rolls over to his side, turning his back towards Harry. Harry climbs into his own bed, and Ron rolls back over to tell him to piss off. Harry looks at Ron for a moment, and then removes his glasses and lies down. The camera focuses on Ron's face, who looks troubled by the situation, and sighs.
0: The book and the movie start off in exactly the same place because we cut this chapter in half and therefore decided to cut off the movie scene where we wanted it so it actually lined up. Because we're sneaky like that. Because we're smart. That too. (laughs) S-M-R-T. I mean (laughs) S-M-A-R-T. In the book, Harry is stunned, knowing everyone in the Great Hall is looking at him and thinks he must be dreaming. An angry buzzing sound, not applause. Fills the hall and Harry sits frozen in his seat.
1: The movie section starts off right after Dumbledore yells out Harry Potter's name. The camera focuses on Harry as he thinks to himself that this would be an opportune time for the ground to just open up and swallow him. Hermione pushes Harry to get up like a mother trying to get a toddler to leave the
0: playground. You would know too. I would, it's very difficult. In the book, Professor McGonagall gets up and has a quick word with Dumbledore before he calls Harry's name again, asking him to come forward. Hermione tells him to go on, and Harry stumbles a bit when he gets up. So that's kind of similar, Hermione's bossing him around. Yeah, a little bit. The top table doesn't seem to get any nearer, and he can feel everyone's eyes on him. He finally reaches Dumbledore, who is not smiling, and is told to go through the door. You'd think he'd be used to everyone's eyes on him by now, though. No? Doesn't
1: mean he has to like it. Eh, That's true. In the movie, he stands back up in a daze and his feet start moving, seemingly of their own accord, towards Dumbledore, as Ron's extra green eyes glare after him. Harry reaches Dumbledore, who looks very confused, and hands him the charred piece of paper. They eye each other up as Harry walks past.
0: It's similar-ish. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He nervously passes Professor Snape, who also just stares at him. But, I mean, to be fair, that's a pretty normal interaction for them, right? That's almost kind. You're yeah, right. <laughs> it's almost like, you feeling okay? Professor McGonagall puts a hand on his shoulder as he passes and somehow refrains from shouting, Dead man walking! As he <laughs> continues to make his way down the aisle. Pretty much.
0: Because that would be me. <laughs> And like I said, this is similar to the book. Mm. Harry makes his way along the staff table and sees that even Hagrid is completely astonished. He didn't wave or smile as Harry passes him. Yeah, the only time they show Hagrid in the movie is when he just goes, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, I don't think Harry has to walk past him. Mm -mm. But he enters a room that's lined with portraits and has a roaring fire burning in the fireplace opposite him. The movie goes on to show a constipated Igor (laughs) Karkaroff,
1: and settles on a scowling Mad-Eye Moody, looking pretty unsurprised, really. I wonder why. Hmm. Hmm. It's an interesting thought. Maybe we should remember that for later. File that one away. Yep. Put it right in the memory bank. (laughs) Keep it in mind. (laughs) Then it cuts to the trophy room off the Great Hall and shows Harry walking down the stairs and through the entrance. Which, that's gotta feel like the longest fucking stairway ever.
0: <laughs> it looked like one of the longest fucking I mean, stairways. Yeah. I mean, it's second place to the one that gets you to Defense Against the Dark Arts slash Divination, since they apparently use the same classroom Obviously. for that. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, Minerva breaks out the smelling salts, and the headmasters realize that they should probably go and try and figure this clusterfuck out. Yeah. Just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> Fleur, Victor, and Cedric move in front of the fireplace and see Harry coming down the stairs with a hot batch of
0: pissed off adults right behind him. In the book, Victor Crumb, Cedric Diggory, and Fleur Delacour are already grouped around the fire, silhouetted by the flames, making them look very impressive and just intimidating Harry a little bit more. Yeah, I'm shitting my pants. Right? (laughs) When Fleur notices Harry, she asks if they are wanted back in the hall, thinking he's been sent in with a message. He doesn't know what to say, so he just stands there and looks at the three champions, noting how tall they are. (laughs) Like, oh, oh, this is not good. (laughs) (laughs) I am so fucked. (laughs) Ludo Bagman enters the room and, remarking how extraordinary it is, leads Harry to the fireside with the other three champions. He repeats that it's extraordinary and tells them that Harry is incredibly the fourth triwizard champion. As we... Are so shocked to find out. Yes. Victor looks over Harry and Cedric, seems sure he must have misheard, but Fleur believes it's a joke or a mistake because he is too young. Aw, a little Fleur with her little accent
1: that we never really get to hear in the fucking movie. Yes. (laughs) Because she did not talk
0: in this scene. Barely. She barely talked in the movie. Right. Yeah. She just had to stand there and look pretty. Oh, Hollywood. But Bagman agrees that it is amazing, but since his name came out of the goblet, the rules say he's obliged to compete. The door opens again and Professor Dumbledore enters, closely followed by Mr. Crouch, Professor Karkaroff, Madame Maxime, Professor McGonagall, and Professor Snape.
1: So the group of adults is similar, but they seem to not be, like, rushing in all hot and bothered and whatnot.
0: Yeah, the movie clearly showed them, like, arguing angry, and they just come in. Oh, yeah. Fleur tells Madame Maxime that they were just told that this little boy would be competing with them, and Madame Maxime asks Dumbledore what the meaning is. Professor Karkaroff smiles coldly and says that he would like to know also. He says he wasn't told that the host school is allowed two champions, and Madame Maxime agrees that it's most unjust. Karkaroff also tells Dumbledore that he thought the age line was supposed to keep the younger students from entering.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, the younger students, except for my favorite Harry Potter. (laughs) Right. The fuck is wrong with you, Karkaroff? Think I'm just gonna let that guy
0: sit down? Come on. Snape mutters that only Harry is to blame, not Dumbledore, and that Harry has been crossing lines since he arrived. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not, definitely. But, you know, a little bit of judgment there. A I little think. bit. A little bit. <laughs> Dumbledore cuts Snape off and calmly asks Harry. I'm just going to say that again. And calmly asks Harry <laughs> if he put his name in the Goblet of Fire. Why do you feel the need to emphasize that? That he calmly Asked Harry
1: if he put is his it, name in the Goblet of Fire. Is, is it different? Other places? we
0: look at there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so he calmly asks Harry if he put his name in the Goblet of Fire. Harry says no, and Snape snorts in disbelief. Dumbledore ignores him and asks Harry if he asked an older student to enter his name. Again, Harry says no.
1: I mean, that sounds just exactly like what happened in the movie, I thought.
0: The movie streamlines this
1: part and just has Dumbledore, Karkaroff, Crouch, McGonagall, Moody, and Snape meander down the steps, nice and calm. Dumbledore gets to Harry and puts a reassuring hand on his shoulder, asking if Harry put his name in the Goblet of Fire, super calmly, just like in the book. Not different at all. Super chill, because that's Dumbledore. He just hit the gillyweed. He's just a super chill guy. When Harry says he didn't, Dumbledore totally believes him and drops the subject. Oh, fucking, wait, psych! None of that happens. Everyone loses their shit and tries to blame the 14-year-old for showing up their magic skills.
0: Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? Did you put your name in
1: the goblet of fire? Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? Harry, did you put your name in the
0: goblet of fire? Fire! Fire! <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying, That three words or less?
1: Trigger a fandom in three words or less yeah he said calmly boom there it is also if you want to do one word
0: did you put your name in the the fire
1: that is one word that is one fucking word
0: i love all of the memes about it i love the the cartoons where he's like <laughs> doing all of these acrobats <laughs> and <laughs> flouncing and, and then like shoves him into the wall <laughs> fire! fire if nothing
1: else i mean at least it gave us some good memes but god damn oh, it. it's so frustrating I would gladly hand over every meme that I can find to trade in for the scene properly done. For Dumbledore? Yeah,
0: that too. Definitely. (laughs) Anyway, in the book, after he calmly asks and accepts that Harry did not put his name in the Goblet of Fire or persuade an older student to do it for him, Madame Maxime insists that he must be lying. I mean, she does that in the movie too. Yeah. (laughs) Professor McGonagall sharply says that he could not have crossed the age line. Madame Maxine says Dumbledore must have made a mistake, and Dumbledore is like super polite and is just like, yeah, I guess that's possible. <laughs> McGonagall's just like, no, you didn't. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know you didn't make a mistake. You're Dumbledore. You're fucking perfect. Wow. Okay. She then says that Harry couldn't have crossed the age line, and if Dumbledore believes that he did not ask an older student to put his name in the goblet, that should be good enough for everyone. I mean, she's not wrong there. It should be good enough for everybody. But it is not. You think if the headmaster of the school is just like, nah, I believe this kid. Right. He didn't do it. I know him well. I've been watching him since he was a baby.
1: I mean, to be fair, the two other people who seem to be complaining the most are the rival schools. What? I mean, I can kind of see how they would be suspicious,
0: maybe a wee bit. I can see that. But at the same time. They're totally suspicious. They're not happy with it. So Karkaroff turns to Crouch and Bagman about the irregularity of the situation. Bagman wipes his face and just looks at Crouch like, you take this one, man. (laughs) And Crouch looks much older than usual, but uses his normal curt voice to say that those whose names come out of the Goblet of Fire are bound to compete and that they must follow the rules. No wonder Percy likes him so much. (laughs) Bagman beams and turns to Madame Maxime and Karkaroff, saying that nobody knows the rules better than Barty and seems to consider the matter closed.
1: That just seems very not closed, but
0: sure. I guess he's right. When you're right, you're right, right? I guess. Yeah. I mean, he's the one who organized it. He would know the rules. He also is such a stickler for rules. He's also being controlled, but we'll get to that. Whaaaa? So apparently the matter's closed, and Karkaroff's expression and tone changes, and are now very ugly. He insists that it's only fair that the names of the students be resubmitted until each of the schools have two champions. Bagman points out that the goblet has already gone out and won't reignite until the start of the next tournament, in which Karkaroff says Dermstrang will certainly not be competing. Oh, darn. I guess it's only going to be the, the by wizard <laughs> tournament. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on to say after everything they've gone through to set up this tournament, he has half a mind to leave now, but a voice by the door growls, and says that it's an empty threat as Dermstrang has a champion and that the magical contract is binding. Because
1: apparently steps were taken to assure the student's safety except, I don't know, the ability to remove the name of someone who didn't actually put their name in to begin with.
0: Convenient.
1: Hmm, yes. But this again was pretty streamlined. They do talk about the rules, though it's a little later, and the only part of that that really ended up in the movie was Madame Maxine joining in on the berating and calling Harry a liar. Moody stands up for Harry, saying that only a goddamn genius could have done this. Which, knowing what we know, is really just him giving himself a big old pat on the back. You right? Know? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. But he says it would be way beyond this dumbass's skill set. Though to be fair, Harry and his friends have been going beyond their skill set in the name of meddling since they first got here, so maybe Moody just didn't do his homework on that one. Yeah, he clearly didn't know that was
0: Harry's superpower. Right? Didn't do his homework. Didn't do it. This is basically from the book, (laughs) but Moody enters the room after everybody and not with the arguing group. Oh, you mean he doesn't come in with everyone and call Madame Maxime a French tart? (laughs) Apparently not. (laughs) Though I kind of wish he
1: did. Right? One of the things the movie gets right.
0: Right. It happens once in a blue moon. But anyway, he limps towards the fire saying it's convenient. Karkaroff says he doesn't understand and Moody wonders, why don't you understand? It's very simple. So simple. Someone put Harry's name in the goblet knowing that if his name came out, he would have to compete. Madame Maxime thinks that it was someone who wanted Hogwarts to have two bites at the apple, and Karkaroff agrees, saying he will be lodging formal complaints. Oh my god, Karkaroff's such a Karen. I need to speak to the manager. (laughs) I'm going to lodge a formal complaint. Okay. Moody thinks that it's odd that Harry is the only one not complaining. I think Harry just can't find his voice.
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of shit going on right right
0: now. (laughs) Because he has the most reason to complain of anybody. And I just don't think he has any idea what to say. I think he's just like. (laughs) Fleur stamps her foot and says that the honor and the prize money make competing a chance many people would die for. Moody agrees and says that maybe someone is hoping that Harry will die for it. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Unlike what just happened here, a tense silence falls for a moment before Bagbin nervously comments on what a thing that is for Moody to say, and Karkaroff implies that Moody is paranoid and that he must be teaching his students to fear assassination as well. I mean, constant vigilance! Yeah, hey, is that the wrong way to go? I don't know. Moody defends himself and says that only a skilled witch or wizard could have put Harry's name in. So again, a little bit of back patting. Mm-hmm. Go me. He's got an Ellen level of confidence. (laughs) And theorizes that they probably used a very strong Confundus charm to hoodwink such a powerful magical object. Yes, he's theorizing. Theorizing. (laughs) (laughs) He guesses Potter's name was submitted under a fourth school, so he would be the only one in the category. I just love that. Like, I mean, I suppose if somebody wanted to do this. This is probably what happened. (laughs) <laughs> Karkaroff coldly says that he seems to have given this a great deal of thought and reasserts that Moody is paranoid and that he cannot be taken seriously. Maybe you should have taken him seriously. Maybe, Maybe. you should. Moody menacingly counters the accusation, saying that it's his job to think as dark wizards do and that Karkaroff ought to remember. Ooh, Dumbledore cuts Moody off sharply. With an Alistair, I love that part of the book because Harry's just like, who the fuck's he talking to? And then realizes that Mad-Eye surely couldn't be his first name. (laughs) It's just a fun little detail that you can't get in a movie. Yeah, definitely. But Harry sees the satisfied look on Moody's face at Karkaroff's burning face and thinks, hmm, something new to meddle about. Hmm. My meddling sense is tingling, right? (laughs) Dumbledore says that regardless of not knowing how the situation arose, there is no choice but to accept that both Cedric and Harry have been chosen to compete.
1: This is also similar, though shock of the day, streamlined. What? (laughs) In the movie, Dumbledore looks troubled. Karkaroff accuses Moody of thinking, and Moody reminds him that he knows his shit, and adds in that this commie fuck knows exactly what he means by that. <laughs> Karkaroff sneers, and Dumbledore gets between them and tells them it's time to put their dicks away and actually try to be useful. You're paraphrasing, right? I thought those were direct quotes. I mean, was I watching a different movie? Apparently. Hmm. Anyway, at this point in the movie, I was watching at least. Dumbledore approaches Barty Crouch and tells him that he leaves this to him. Which happened a little sooner in the book.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But happened.
1: (laughs) Nonetheless, yes. And Mr. Crouch looks lost as he says that the rules are absolute. The Goblet of Fire constitutes a binding magical contract, which apparently does not take into consideration that Harry is not of legal age and therefore cannot
0: agree to any such contract. Because apparently, steps were taken to assure the student's safety, except the ability to remove the fucking name of someone who didn't actually put their fucking name in to begin with. See? You can- <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, the movie would have been really short. The book would it not have been that long had Harry not ended up in the Triwizard Tournament. So I might have liked the book a little better. <laughs> Maybe. Less sports ball.
1: Way less sports ball. He turns to Dumbledore and thinks about what kind of fucked up PR nightmare this is going to be, but declares that Mr. Potter is shit out of luck and is now a Tri-Wizard Champion. Harry wonders if they should be called the Quad Wizard Champions, but decides that this is probably not the best time to suggest a name change. Probably not, <laughs>
0: Quad Wizard Champions. <laughs> Just found the episode title. <laughs> In the book, Madame Maxime begins to protest again, and Dumbledore says that any alternative she might have would be welcomed. Well, Yeah. But having no suggestion, she falls silent and just glares, as only the French can do. That's what I thought. Snape and Karkaroff also both look furious, but Bagman is looking quite excited.
1: He would.
0: And I'm just picturing James Gordon. Right. Looking like a bouncy little boy. Or John Barrowman still James Corden for me I can't get myself over the idea of John Barrowman being blonde I can see it all and I love it he's just so perfect as a brunette I don't want that to change
1: (laughs) I mean it's not like it would be the first time they changed someone's hair color for the movie from what it was in the book
0: no because i can't accept changes from the book i don't like it i don't want it to happen i'm not happy that they did that from the book to the movie to begin with so no i will not approve of keeping john barman's hair brown even though john barman's hair needs to stay brown therefore he just cannot become ludo bagman wow
1: you are all in on that one aren't you wow okay
0: (laughs) my bad shit carry on but if you want to that's fine that's just my brain maybe i will
1: (laughs) Well, maybe I will.
0: But yeah, so James Corden rubs his hands together and smiles, asking Barty to do the honors of giving the champions their instructions.
1: They never bother having Crouch give the instructions in the movie at all. I know you're shocked, but, hmm, you know. This part of the scene just ends in the declaration that Harry is now a
0: triwizard champion. A quad wizard champion. Quite, indeed, definitely. In the book, Crouch seems to come out of a deep reverie. Which is what I think the lost look on Crouch's face was referencing in the movie. Mm-hmm. Harry thinks he looks a bit ill compared to how he looked at the Quidditch World Cup. I don't know that the movie portrayed that so much.
1: But I mean, then again, Crouch just looks constipated
0: at all times. Yeah. In the movie. He looked the same every time we saw him, I thought. Yeah. And like, yeah, he was a little bit lost looking, but that's not the same as looking ill. Yeah. Like, the book seriously had some plants early on that something wasn't right with him. Like, coming out of that reverie, looking ill, mm-hmm. not looking as impeccable as usual.
1: Yeah. It like, was there.
0: They were all meant to give you the
1: clues that you needed. But they never did that in the movie because, you know, why?
0: Why? Why would you do that? That's just silly. But in the book, Crouch begins by telling them their first task is designed to test their daring and will be a surprise as courage in the face of the unknown is an important quality in a wizard it will take place on november the 24th which was our trivia question indeed it was <laughs> in front of other students and the panel of judges champions may not ask for help from their teachers and will be armed with only their wands once the first task is completed they will receive information about the second task And one can infer from that that once the second task is completed, they will receive information about the third task, but he does not specifically say that. I don't think he needs to. That's why I said one can (laughs) infer from that. I thought you just wanted to say one can infer. I did. Okay.
1: Well, you know what? You
0: have your moment, Ellen. One can infer (laughs) that I just wanted to say one can infer. (laughs) Also, owing to the time-consuming nature of the tournament, Crouch informs them that they will be exempt from the end-of-year exams. And Harry's just like, cho-ching! <laughs> Does that exempt them from newts, then? Because,
1: I mean, those are big tests. I wonder if newts are separate from their regular classroom tests. But even so, like, if there's too much pressure on them that they exempt them from the end-of-year exams... There's not so much pressure that they still have to take their newts? I just that seems crazy
0: to me. But yeah, I don't know. If the newts are separate from the exams, maybe they would get permission to take them later? Maybe. Or uh, something. I don't yeah, that's possible. That's a good question. I think we just found another Potter pondering. Ooh. I'm on a roll. On a roll. Let's just keep rolling. I'm on a roll with my sexy voice. <laughs> Anywho. Mr. Crouch turns to Dumbledore to make sure he didn't miss anything and says that he must get back to the ministry when Dumbledore offers him to stay at Hogwarts for the night. Bagman also tries to persuade him by enthusiastically saying that he's staying. Somehow that doesn't convince him. Then Dumbledore tries to get him to at least stay for a drink. But with a hint of impatience in his voice, Crouch just insists that he must get back because he left the overenthusiastic Weatherby in charge.
1: I love that he's
0: still calling him Weatherby.
1: Oh, that (laughs) Weatherby.
0: Dumbledore offers a nightcap to Karkaroff and Maxime, but they're already both out the door. They're like, we're getting the fuck out of here. We're pissed.
1: Karkaroff's like, I just jacked Dumbledore's gillyweed. Let's get the fuck out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So instead, Dumbledore smiles at Harry and Cedric and says that Gryffindor and Hufflepuff are probably waiting to celebrate with them. So he just ushers them out and said he doesn't offer them a nightcap
1: that's kind of shit
0: right i mean come on
1: i think of all the people in that building harry needs the nightcap probably yeah right however doesn't really matter because the movie doesn't show any of this but it does actually add a section that wasn't in the book chapter i know you're shocked and for good reason The scene cuts to a transition shot outside the castle in the rain where water is pouring from the open mouth of a griffin statue since no one can be arsed to clean the gutters. (laughs) I mean, who wants to? There's a lot of fucking gutters on that castle. Or
0: there must be, I'm assuming. I mean, they could use magic. They
1: could, or you could go fuck yourself. (laughs) Just saying. (laughs) The camera zooms out and pans over to a tower before zooming back in and cutting to Dumbledore in his office, leaning over an ornate magical object emitting blue-white light. McGonagall, as the only voice of logic and reason in the room, as is her usual way, really, yeah, she tells Dumbledore that this really needs to stop. For a usually super-omniscient being, he really is having trouble seeing what's right in front of his face today.
0: And this... This right here is one of my issues with movie Dumbledore. Wait, wait. You have issues with movie Dumbledore? Did you put your name in the government of (laughs) fire? (laughs) Uh, And you just said he's usually super omniscient, and the movie took that away from him. He
1: did. But he turns it on her and wants to know if she has any better ideas. And she says, fucking duh, they should not let Potter compete. Why is it that hard? Magical binding. (laughs) He reminds her that his hands are tied, even though he's Dumbledore, and let's face it, they totally aren't. McGonagall says, fuck Barty Crouch, and the broom he rode in on, and tells Dumbledore to stop being a little bitch. Snape finally speaks up to agree that the situation is pretty fucking shady, even for him. That's saying quite a bit. But maybe just let things happen, since, you know, he gives zero fucks about that little shit anyway. (laughs)
0: I think he'd step in if something bad started to happen. Ah. Only because Dumbledore told him to, but I think he would. Or would it just be like him sitting there going,
1: no, wait, stop, like fucking Willy Wonka in the chocolate <laughs> factory? Could. <laughs> McGonagall thinks that this is super fucked up, but Dumbledore thinks that it's probably only just on par with all the shit the kid has already gone through. So, I mean, what's the harm in just letting this play out, like Snape says?
0: I agree. With Severus.
1: (laughs) He asks Alistair to keep an eye on Harry, and Mad-Eye Moody, who was previously shown to enjoy watching children struggle, seems to have no problem agreeing to that request. I mean, that attracts, right? Dumbledore tells him not to let Harry know, as he must be anxious enough already, and I mean, knowing that someone is keeping a Mad-Eye out for him, (laughs) that would definitely not help him feel safer at all. Maybe a little. No, not even a tiny
0: bit. Okay. Mm -mm.
1: He then points his wand at his head and pulls out some shiny brain jizz from his temple. (laughs) You tell me what it is. That's shiny brain jizz if I've ever seen it. He says they are all anxious and that Potter Twat.
0: (laughs) Harry Twatter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, him. He isn't
1: special. And then Dumbledore lowers the brain goo into the swirling
0: mirror-like surface of the bowl he is propped up against. Which we will learn more about later, but right now it's just a bowl-type thing. Yep, we don't actually know what it is.
1: No clue. It's a big old bowl of brain juice. <laughs> 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 The goo strands swirl around and reveal an image of the singed piece of parchment bearing Harry Potter's name as ominous thunder rumbles in the background. But not a bit of that happened in the book.
0: We normally have to say that the other way around. I know, right? (laughs) This is weird. What actually happened in the book is that Harry and Cedric leave through the eerily deserted Great Hall. Cedric smiles at Harry and says that they will be playing against each other again. Harry's mind feels like it's been ransacked, and all he managed to say in response is, I suppose. (laughs) So eloquent. I suppose. As they reach the entrance hall, Cedric asks Harry how he got his name in, and Harry can tell Cedric doesn't believe him when he insists that he didn't put his name in. I'm noticing a theme on that. No one seems to believe him. Harry didn't put my name in twatter. (laughs) Anywho, he stands for a moment, listening to Cedric walk away, and when he begins his way up the marble stairs, he wonders if anybody besides Ron and Hermione will believe him. He thinks to himself that he had fantasized about it, but he never really considered it. Because he doesn't like the idea of competing against older, more skilled wizards in tasks that seem very dangerous. I mean,
1: because he hasn't tried to take on Sirius Black in previous years, or, you know, the air of fucking Slytherin in previous years, or...
0: But that was with Ron and Hermione's help. We gotta get them all under that trench coat. Tren- <laughs> the world's most giant wizard yes (laughs) that's the one (sighs) harry also thinks about what moody had said and wonders if someone actually wanted him dead or if moody really was just being paranoid i mean i would go with both yeah why not both both sounds good (laughs) why not both (laughs) for
1: his (laughs) zoidberg
0: He knows very well that Lord Voldemort has wanted him dead since he was a baby. And he remembers his dream about Voldemort plotting his murder with Wormtail. So maybe... Maybe. It's all connected. It's almost like this is a plot device or something. It's almost like this is a pretty key chapter in the book. Right? We are almost halfway through. We are. we are almost halfway number-wise through. I have a feeling the later chapters are going to get split more, but definitely. <laughs> we shall see as we go through. Mm-hmm. Harry is surprised to find himself already at the fat lady's portrait, and is also surprised to see that she's not alone. The fat lady tells him that her friend Violet has told her everything, and Harry only says balderdash. The witch in the portrait with the fat lady indignantly says that it's not, and as she swings open, the fat lady soothes her and tells her no no vi, that's the password. <laughs> Harry's met with a blast of noise and is greeted by all of Gryffindor, who are screaming, applauding, and whistling.
1: But that's not different from the movie at all. I mean they loved him in the movie, didn't they? They really did. They were super happy he was the champion. Oh wait, no, they fucking didn't.
0: Unless of course you were watching the movie. <laughs> <laughs> So he's just completely bombarded by his housemates congratulating him and making all sorts of comments about how at least the champion's a Gryffindor and that Harry can pay back Cedric for the last Quidditch match because they all fucking hate Cedric in the book. Mm-hmm. They offer him food and continue to assail him with celebrations, oblivious to the fact that Harry wants nothing to do with their shit. Right? He was like, I'm not in a celebrating mood, guys. This fucking sucks. I kind of want to just go to bed. I'm tired. I'm tired after nearly an hour of repeatedly insisting that he didn't enter his name and that he doesn't want any food. He yells that he's tired and makes his way upstairs. Poor Harry. Right. Ron was actually absent from these celebrations and is the only person in their dormitory. He watches with an odd smile on his face as Harry struggles to remove a Gryffindor banner that Lee Jordan had tied around him like a cape. (laughs) And instead of offering to help him get the stupid cape off, he just offers him congratulations. I don't think he really meant it, though. No, Harry's just like, what the fuck do you mean? (laughs) And then he begins asking Harry how he crossed the age line. And Harry's just like, I didn't cross the age line. And somebody else must have put my name in. For the 30th time today. Jesus. Ron wants to know why someone would do that. And Harry thinks it's a little bit melodramatic to be like, someone's trying to kill me. So instead, he just goes with, I don't know. I don't know. I suppose. I don't know. I did put my name in. That's all he said in like the past how many hours?
1: I mean, to be fair, that would be me.
0: Entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ron tells Harry it's fine to lie to everyone else, but he can tell him the truth. He doesn't even know why he's bothering to lie since he didn't get into trouble. But this is just making Harry start to feel angry because he's like, I didn't put my fucking name in. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and mm, let's see. How much of that happened in the movie? Oh, not a bit of that happened in the movie. Not even a dicky bird. (laughs) (laughs) You and your dicky birds.
0: It's because I didn't get to see James Corden say that line.
1: <laughs> Instead, the scene cuts to Harry sitting and staring off, blankly contemplating his own mortality, as Ron hardcore side-eyes him and begins a super rational argument based on clear-headed thinking and facts.
0: Mm, that's what those were, yes. Mm-hmm. Entirely. Nope,
1: not even a little bit. Entirely. No jealousy in them whatsoever. Harry is super confused, which is mm, not unusual for him, but in this case, he does get a
0: pass. He did think Ron would believe him.
1: Yeah. Of all the people in the entire school that he thought would believe him, he's, Ron and Hermione were the two people that he was like, "Oh yeah, they got my back. They're my best friends. Right. And then Ron is being a dick. So that's super fun. Harry wants to know what he is supposed to let him know, and Ron tells him that he knows bloody well what. And Harry insists that he didn't ask for this to happen, and informs him that he is being stupid. Because he kind of is. Not kinda. Entirely. As he gets into bed, Ron grumbles, that's him, Ron Weasley, Harry Potter's stupid friend. And I'm just so glad to see that the mature portion of the night has
0: begun already.
1: It didn't start when Moody called Maxime a French tart? I mean, that was the mature time amongst adults.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mature adult time sounds dirty. It
1: really does. Moving on. Harry stands up and looks directly at his friend, reiterating that he didn't put his name in that cup. He says he doesn't want eternal glory, but hmm, what he really means is he doesn't need eternal glory, because ya boy already has eternal glory. And it ain't all it cracked up to be. Not at all. He seems to start to say that he just wants to be normal, but hmm, decides that may not go down too well with his super irrational friend, so he takes a breath. And tries again, saying that he has no idea what happened or why, and implies that Ron needs to remove his head from his sphincter and see the real problem here. And Ron's just like, nah, guy, you're still a dick. That part
0: is sort of similar to the book. Mm -hmm. At least the sentiment is there. Ron reminds Harry that he said he would have done it last night when nobody would have seen and says that he isn't stupid. Harry snaps that he's doing a good impression of it, and Ron drops his forced smile. Burn! But then he sardonically says that Harry should go to sleep since he probably has an early photo call or something, and shuts the hangings around his bed. Harry's left staring at the velvet curtains that are now hiding one of the few people he thought would believe him. Sad panda. Very sad panda. And this is where the chapter ends. The movie section ends with
1: Harry climbing into his own bed and Ron rolling back over to tell him to piss off.
0: Sick burn, guy. Not as good as the, you probably have an early photo call or something. Right. And it's awkward. Yeah. It's awkwardly delivered. Really? You
1: just wanted the last word that badly? Apparently. Anyway. Harry looks at Ron for a moment and then removes his glasses and lies down. The camera focuses on Ron's face, who looks troubled by the situation and sighs. And we end the movie section here. And guess what? What? We actually get to talk about some returning actors that actually have lines at this point. What? Yeah. Super exciting.
0: Yeah. Our first one is Maggie Smith returning as Professor Minerva McGonagall.
1: I love Maggie Smith. She's amazing. Yeah. The voice of reason. She really is. Especially in this movie where there's really, there's no reason to
0: anything And There's this movie. no rhyme or reason. Not at all. Except for the rhymes that we make. Yeah,
1: but those are badass.
0: Those are badass. Mm-hmm. But
1: yeah, she, once again, delivered McGonagall. Love her. Oh, yeah. Like, I want McGonagall in my corner.
0: Right. No, that's what she's phenomenal at. She's just, that's why she's teacher goals. hmm Definitely. And I can't imagine anybody but Maggie Smith pulling that off. No. Like, you know how we talked earlier about, like, fantasy recasting for if they ever do a remake? I still can't decide who should be McGonagall.
1: Yeah, I agree. I fully, fully agree. We might
0: have to just put her in a time machine. Time stasis chamber or right? something. something. Yeah. I don't know.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: we'll just, we'll freeze her a la Austin Powers. And clone then, her. Oh, there we go. Oh, I'm down with a We can dolly clone. that shit. Yes. Can we please clone Maggie Smith? I just want more Maggie Smiths in the world. That would be so cool. Speaking of people I want to clone, we also had Alan Rickman returning as Professor Severus Snape.
0: And you know, as much as Snape is not a likable character, Alan Rickman is. Alan Rickman is. And he really, (laughs) like, I honestly think that most people who like Snape like him because of alan rickman in the movies Mm -hmm. because he's still a dick in the movies too he's just such a lovable dick yeah alan rickman just makes him so fucking lovable and i love him and he's my old man crush
1: (laughs) he brings something so i I, it's weird to say pure because it's not pure but it's it's something so like intangible to this role that He's another one. I can't. I, I can't. I don't know who else they would cast. I still think
0: maybe Adam Driver. I've seen that.
1: I don't hate it.
0: Yeah. But not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about Alan Rickman. But Alan Rickman is
1: just. He was just amazing. He really was. Because I don't like Snape. I
0: like Alan Rickman as, as Snape. Snape. Alan Rickman as Snape brought the book character alive so well Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that the movie writers didn't as well. Definitely but that's not his fault. But Mm -hmm. I think that Alan Rickman captured the nuances of the depth of Snape's character. Yeah. Better than the book showed at first. Yeah. And he did it throughout the whole series.
1: Right. In this particular scene with him and McGonagall in Dumbledore's office, where he's just like, I mean, maybe we should just kind of let this keep on going. Like that was pretty ambiguous, yeah. Because you were you were kind of thinking,
0: well, wait, are you the one who put his name? Or did in? you? Yeah. Did, did you... you put his name in the Goblet of Fire?
1: <laughs> Severus, did you put his name in the Goblet of Fire? Maybe he could have done it. We don't know. He's supposed to be like the quintessential
0: red herring. Yeah. And Alan Rickman just danced on that fucking line. Mm -hmm. He nailed it. Yeah. It was great. I love him. Yay, Alan Rickman. Yay. (laughs) For our Potter pondering this week, we're wondering if you were a teacher or a student at Hogwarts during all of this, would you have believed that Harry didn't put his own name in the Goblet of Fire?
1: And are the newts included in the end-of-year exams, and if they are, is the champion exempt from taking those as well? Or would they be expected to take them later? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. Our Sorting Hat story this week is from Jane Moore. She writes, I made a collage of stats a while back and have it all handy. By the numbers, my house is Ravenclaw. My wand is 10-inch maple with unicorn hair core, surprisingly swishy flexibility, and my Patronus is an otter, just like Hermione. (laughs) As a mom of three Fannish-raised kids, I was a first-generation Trekker, it was only a matter of time before Harry crossed our path. Gary Oldman's appearance clinched the deal. Some friends and my youngest played around with setting up a school where three great Quidditch teams are based. Down under. So that spawned Curajong School for Thaumaturgy, Hogwarts Down Under. Now Sharon and I are Universal Orlando annual pass holders and visit the Wizarding World at least once a month, dropping crafted goodies for visitors to find as members of universally crafted Universal Orlando. I've told this story once before, that time some random person online made me a Ravenclaw hand-embroidered bookmark with a design she had made herself, which is my favorite Harry Potter memorabilia.
0: Aw, thanks for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Jane. Mm-hmm. I love that you drop Harry Potter crafts around the Wizarding World. We're going to be there at the end of June, so maybe we'll see some. Yeah. Oh, that'd be so much fun. Right? Maybe she'll find some of our
1: stickers and stuff that we We're going to
0: drop some stickers and pins <laughs> for everybody that might be looking. Yay.
1: <laughs> Thank you for sharing your story with us. And if any of you other Keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might like to share with us. You can also just message it to us on social media. And this will bring us to this week's trivia question. What spell does Draco cast that hits Hermione and causes her teeth to elongate? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag, I
0: see no difference, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, you can write a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow
1: us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at just keep rolling. Following us on podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com we'll get you the episode
0: as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks you can go to patreon.com/just keep rolling. In addition to getting you some extra perks, like just keep rolling swag, patron-only Facebook groups, virtual meetups, bonus content, and more, your patronage also helps us to continue producing this podcast, our cooking show, and bringing more content your way. As always, any support you can give is greatly
1: appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, monthly blooper reels, vlogs, and other random videos.
0: And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 18, the weighing of the wands, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just Just keep keep rolling. rolling.